Good morning, church. I'm going to get a better one than that. Good morning, church. Merry Christmas to you. Christ is alive. Every blessing, spiritual blessing that we have in heaven is in Him, is yes and amen. And that should be something that excites us. Michael said that the church is open, and I'm glad the church is open. I know there's a debate out there in the culture today about whether or not the church is essential. I'll tell you, I think the church and the work of the church is more essential now than it's ever been. And I don't think we go out, you know, on a tangent and, 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 and be foolish. As you can see, we've had our social distancing measures set up here since we reconvened, and we should do that, but we should assemble together. I love the worship. I loved worshiping when we were closed from my home, but there was nothing like coming together in God's presence and worshiping. I heard a testimony just this week from someone who had been in a church that had been shut down since the pandemic started, attended a church that was open, uh, and just talked about the, how emotional and powerful the worship was to come together with believers in worship. So it's good to have you here this morning. I want to thank uh, Rebecca Butler for uh, decorating the church. Doesn't it look good? It's important that we do these things. Thank you, Rebecca, for coming in and doing that. So Pastor Don had back surgery Tuesday. Um, went, to be, went well, woke up with no pain, and did have some pain after surgery, but he's doing much better, according to Sister Carol, and he wanted everyone to know he's doing better and that he is uh, right now uh, working on his message for next Sunday, and he plans to be back with us and in the pulpit preaching next Sunday. So continue to um, keep Pastor Don in your prayers this week. Why Emmanuel is the name of the, is the topic uh, this morning. And Matthew 1 and 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, translated God with us. Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for your presence that we've already felt in the worship. Lord, I'm glad that we can come into your presence, even in the midst of a pandemic, and find peace. And I thank you for your church. I thank you for the ministry of the church. God, for your people who are reaching out to a world that's lost, that's hopeless, that's hungry, that's looking for truth now more than they ever have. And so, God, we thank you for that. And we thank you for being Emmanuel, God, with us. So why Emmanuel, God, with us? I, uh, I attend the Durham Ministers in Prayer now pretty consistently. It was a really blessing to me when I was still working in the, in the police department. For those of you, I think most of you know who what, what Durham Ministers in Prayer is. It was started by Pastor Don and another pastor, um, Paul Gordon, many years ago. And, and many pastors and lay preachers and just Christians come together on Tuesday at um, Day Stream Baptist Church on Ninth Street, and we pray. We just pray for the city. And it's an encouraging time of unity between different denominations and different races. But I remember a couple years ago, I was there, and uh, uh, Dub Carricker, who was the pastor of Christian Assembly at that time, he said something about Christmas that I never forgot. He said, the thing about Christmas is this. It forces our culture and mankind and our world to deal with Jesus Christ. He's front. Now, yes, we know there's a bit of a cultural battle today to remove it. You see the happy holidays rather than Merry Christmas. We, we see that every year. That rages out in our culture. Does it concern me a little? But if you understand and study the scriptures, you see that that's, that's part of what's coming. Just, just this week, I don't know if you saw it on the news, but um, there was a couple in Raleigh who 
their Christmas decorations at their HOA was the cross surrounded by a wreath. Did anybody see the story? And the HOA said, you can't have that cross. It's not a symbol of Christmas. And the, HO, the Christians said, do what? It is the symbol. And they, gave some, they had to provide some scriptures. Because actually, i got to give it to the HOA. They were like, you've got to give us some scripture. So they gave them some scripture. And they came and said, the cross can stay. And so we see that. But, but the thing about Christmas is it does force, even in trying to take the cross out, even in trying to do away with the manger scenes, all the things that we see, it forces mankind to know that there is a God and that God came to earth to deal with a problem. A problem that we could not deal with, a sin problem. And they might want to push it down and push it away, which is man's typical response, but it still forces them to deal with it. It forces me to deal with it. It forces you to deal with it. And so if we went out and we did a a quick uh, survey in our culture and we asked folks, tell me what Christmas is about. I did this with a couple people. Uh, Most were believers. And I got the responses that we would expect. He came to bring peace on earth. He came so that our sins could be forgiven. And all those are true, and we'll see those in the first two on the outline. But we'll see as we go through the Scriptures, if we open up the Word of God, we're going to look at ten reasons, nine of which came from the Lord Himself, as to why He came to earth, what His mission was here. Now, ten of them, you're probably thinking, ten, how long are we going to be here, Brother Larry? Not that long. Some of them I'm going to spend a little bit of time on, some of them I'm not. But let's look, at, let's look at the Word of God and let's look what Jesus himself said about why he came to the earth. Luke 19 and 10. Now this was Jesus talking to Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus, you know, most of you know the story, a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He was one up in the sycamore tree because he wanted to see the Lord. And Jesus encountered him and he come down and he went to his house. And while he was at Zacchaeus' house, he said this to, to Zacchaeus. He said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now I started with that because I do think that is the overarching mission of our Lord is to seek and to save that which was lost. And I don't know about you, church, but I am glad that I serve a seeking God. The nature of our God is that God is seeking us. Every other religion, it is man's quest to get to God. Christianity is God coming to man. I googled the, how does a, how does a Muslim get to heaven? I googled that. I didn't print it, I should have. But it told all these things that they had to do. They had to do these things and do this and do this. Not for us. Everything we need to have a perfect relationship with God has been done through God seeking us. We see that. We see the nature of our God being a seeking God in Genesis 3 at the fall. Adam and Eve. God has created a man and a woman and He set them in a garden in a perfect place to have perfect communion with Him and enjoy all those things. No disease, no sin. But He said, you can do all these things. You can enjoy this. But this one thing now, do not eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do? They did the very thing. They listened to Satan. They were deceived by him. They did the very thing that God told them not to do, which tells me a lot about the nature of man. But when they did, the Bible says that God came looking for Adam. 
He wasn't where he normally would be, where he would normally meet with God. So God came looking for him. And the Bible says that God asked Adam a question. And I think that wasn't a question in the natural. We know that God knows all things. I think that was a spiritual question. And I think that question resounds through eternity even today. He asked Adam, he said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And God today still looks at each one of you in here and says, where are you? And one day he asked you, where are you? And if you surrendered yourself to him, you said, not where I need to be, God. And something tugged at your heart and you surrendered yourself to him because God came seeking you. We see that in Ezekiel 34 and 16 when the prophet Ezekiel speaking to the nation of Israel. And and God was being so critical of the shepherds who were supposed to be shepherding Israel. And they hadn't done. They had taken advantage of the nation. And God said, I'll seek you myself. In 34, 16, he said, I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and I will feed them in judgment. And then Jesus, our Lord himself in Matthew 18, 11, and 12 said, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray... Does he not leave the ninety and nine and go to the mountains and seek the one that is straying? A seeking God. He sought me. He sought you. If there wouldn't have been but one person that would have accepted the free gift of salvation, he would have come. And he still leaves the ninety-nine today to go and seek the one. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Dan mentioned John 3, 16 through 17 this morning. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his world, his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came to give eternal life and to save the world. But it takes a response. See, we don't have to, we can't save ourselves. But we must respond to the message. We must respond when we feel the pull of the Holy Spirit. We must respond when God begins to deal with us. We must respond. Because Jesus said, whoever believes on him. And that's not a head knowledge. That's a heart knowledge. That's that belief that says, God, I am in need of you. That is what saves the world and gives eternal life. I've heard it said this way, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to save the entire world. It's only efficient for those who will believe and receive. He came to fulfill the law. We'll see many as we go through this that, you know, if you were to get Christmas cards today, most of you will send out Christmas cards. I've gotten some from some of you. I hadn't hadn't opened them yet. But I'm sure they'll say things like peace on earth and goodwill toward man and all those things. But we're going to see a few things that Jesus said he'd come to do that won't be on a Christmas card. And if it was on a Christmas card, you might get a phone call and say, what's this all about? And this might be one of them. Jesus said I, in um, Matthew 5 and 17, at his first sermon, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. You know, there's been some debate in, Christians, in Christendom recently about the relevancy and the, and the necessity of the Old Testament. Church, the Old Testament is just as relevant and important today as it ever was. 
And when you look at the Old Testament and you read the promises of the Old Testament, it's been said that the Old Testament are promises revealed and the New Testament is promises fulfilled. Paul talking to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 said this, that every promise of God, and he would have been talking about the Old Testament when he said this, every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. The book, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus Christ. Every one of them. Hebrews 10 and 1. Hebrews, I would encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. We do an in-depth Bible study on Tuesday nights. Church, knowing God's Word is important. The Bible plan is going to be important. I encourage you to read. And if statistics bear out, and you all know that it's true, most people who identify themselves as followers of the Lord do not read or study God's Word. They get it from the pulpit, which is good, as long as it's sound doctrine. And they may get it here and there. But as our times change, being a student and studying God's Word is going to be very, very important. But Hebrews is often referred to as the most Old Testament book of the New Testament. And in Hebrews 10.1, it says this, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offered continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. That's what communion was about this morning. As a matter of fact, before Jesus died, when he was talking to his disciples, he said, the Bible says he opened up the scriptures and showed them something they should have known already. How all of it spoke to him. And how every bit of it has now been fulfilled in him. And you might say, why does that matter to me today, Brother Larry? Well, one reason it matters to you is people, when you take a stand often on God's Word, the, the moral law, which still applies to us today, they'll take you back to the ceremonial law and say, do you still eat an animal who chews the cud? And you'll be like, what are you talking about? Do you still not eat certain things? Because the Bible says that too. You need to be prepared to say all those ceremonial laws were fulfilled when Christ came. Well, how do you say, where do you get that? Jesus talking to the Pharisees. You know, when you look at the Lord and how he interacted with people on the earth, church, was he not gracious and loving to the sinner? Think about how he treated the woman caught in the act of adultery. Think how he treated uh, blind Barnabas. Think how he treated the woman at the well. Jesus was gracious to the sinner. Man, he was tough on the self-righteous Pharisees and Sadducees. Those who had it all together, they were self-righteous, they didn't need him. He was very, very critical to them. And he was um, speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew 15 and 11. And some of these scriptures I didn't give Tammy. You can write them down if you want, if they're not on your outline. But he said this, and this one statement fulfilled all those dietary regulations. He said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles, it's what comes out. That defiles. And later on, he would say this. He would say, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That completely fulfilled all the dietary regulations. Because the prophet uh, Jeremiah said, the day is coming when the law is going to be taken off the tablets and it's going to be put in your heart. And when Jesus came, he took the law off the tablets. He put it in our heart. We're not clean or ceremonial clean now by what we eat and what we don't eat. We're clean and ceremonial clean because our trust is in him. The law is on our hearts. And what's in this heart shows by what flows out of this mouth. And all that is very, still very, very important for the believer today.
Number four, in talking to Pontius Pilate, he said this in John 18 and 37. He said, Pilate therefore said to him, are you then a king? Jesus answered and said, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. You know, right after that, Pilate asked a question that still lasts today. He asked Jesus, he said, what is truth? What is truth? We still struggle with that today. I don't know sometimes what's true about this pandemic. I don't know what's true about the election. I don't know what's true about going on in half the stuff in our society anymore. But I tell you what I do know is true. I can get out from under all that. I can quit watching Fox News for a little while and I can sit on my porch and I can read this right here and I can find truth. And I can feel peace in the midst of all the turmoil. And I can say, God, I don't know what's going to happen out here. But I know I got peace in the truth here. But Jesus said, you know how I know truth? He said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Don't you know that those who are in Islam think that's the truth? Those who follow Hinduism, they think that's the truth. And I get that. But when you repent of your sin, you come to the Lord and the Holy Spirit becomes to dwell into you. There's just something about this that you know is the truth. Something in your spirit that says, this is the way. Walk in it. And that only comes through and by a relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit. He came to reveal truth. He came to preach in Mark 1 and 38. Speaking to his disciples, he said, But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. He came to preach. What did he come to preach? Matthew 4.17 tells us he came preaching, Repentant, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's the message that the forerunner John the Baptist said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He told the Pharisees and all those, he said, you need to bear fruits worthy of repentance. And Jesus came and said, repent. Turn from your sin, as Brother Dan said this morning. Turn away for it. Understand that you're a sinner. Reject that lifestyle. Say, God has set me on a path to make you the Lord of my life. And you're not going to do that perfectly. But repent of your sin and come and follow me. For the kingdom of God is at hand. What is the kingdom of God? When, it, when the Bible refers to the kingdom of God, church, we're in two realms we're in the now and the not yet. When he said the kingdom of God is at hand, he meant it's here now. How is it here? Was it in Jesus? Yes. But who is it in now? It's in me and it's in you. These are the hands of Jesus. These are the feet, the mouth, and the ears of the Lord. And the kingdom of God, John the Baptist said, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold to it. And the kingdom of God is still advancing from the time that Jesus established it and it will continue to advance until it's fulfilled in eternity. And that kingdom is now here in us. And that's why the church is so important, especially in a time like this. That's so important. You see the statistics of, of depression and loneliness, suicide. People need to be connected into a body of believers We've, we've gotten some things together for Brother Jimmy. Brother Jimmy, one of our brothers, he's been up there and nobody could see him since March. I miss Brother Jimmy. I miss that big old baritone voice back there that would bang out every once in a while. I miss that handshake that when he shakes it, I almost drop down to my knees because it's so strong. Have you ever had Brother Jimmy shake your hand? I'm always afraid to put my hand out for Brother Jimmy to shake my hand. I miss Brother Jimmy. 
And I know many of you have called him and we've got a care package for him. That's what the kingdom of God does. The kingdom of God is doing ministries like under the bridge. Feeding the homeless. Like the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Convoy of Hope that go out when there's natural disasters in the name of Jesus. They're not just out there cutting trees and mudding out people's houses. They're giving hope. They're telling people of hope. Because that's the kingdom of God. And it's advancing. And it's working. And whether it's by a pandemic or something else, Satan will want nothing more than just to shut it down and get it, stop it from working. That's never going to happen. The kingdom of God is at hand. He came for judgment. In John 9 and 39, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, this is on the tail end of that. Jesus has healed a blind man. He goes into the temple and shows himself to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're like, are you the guy that was blind? Yeah, I'm the guy that was blind. Well, who healed you? Jesus healed me. This man named Jesus, he healed me. Well, let's go get your parents and let's find out if you were really blind. The parents come in, they're afraid, of the, they're afraid of the temple guards. And they're like, look, don't ask me no questions. Ask him, he can speak for himself. And this goes back and forth. But later on, Jesus encounters that blind man again who's now can see. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man, the Son of God? He said, yeah, I do. I believe in him. Can you show him to me? He said, I am he that you are speaking to. And then he said this so that the Pharisees and the Sadducees could hear it. He said, and Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see and that those who see may be blind. He come for judgment. Who did he come for judgment for? The self-righteous. He, we, the self-righteous stand in judgment because they don't need it. The I'm a good person group. You know, I've heard there's two groups of people primarily that don't come to, they don't come to Christ. And this is the two primary reasons they don't come. Number one, and I think this is very prevalent in our culture, what do I need it for? I, I'm a good person. We, we did a study in this in one of the, the, the epistles of Paul. We went extensively into this. But if you were asked people today if they were going to go to heaven, they, what would they tell you? Yes. Why? Because I'm a good person. That is not scriptural. None of us are good people. And they would say something like this. I've never killed nobody. They would take the highest thing and say, I've never done that. But if you get it down into the nitty gritty, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when we recognize that, we have to come to the Lord in repentance. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees would not do that. They said, I don't know who this man is. We follow Moses. We follow the law. This man right here, we don't know who he is. And that, Jesus said, hey, they're blind. And there's a lot of people today, their physical eyes can see, but their spiritual eyes are closed tight. And it's our prayer that God will open those spiritual eyes, that the Holy Spirit would move on them and open those spiritual eyes. And it's important for us to be witnesses for that and to pray. As a matter of fact, the disciples asked him in Matthew 13 and 13, they said, well, why do you speak in parables? He said this to them, Therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. Jesus came and said, look, if you can self-righteous, you're never going to see. What was he, what was he to, the, to the religious right? He was a stumbling block. And he's a stumbling block to many today. But if you'll open your blinded eyes and see that you're in need of a Savior, he'll come in and be that Savior. Mark 10 and 45, talking with his disciples again, Jesus said this, 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve. If he's our example, that should be our goal in life is to serve. We should serve our fellow man. We should serve our families. We should serve in our church. We should be, live a life of service. Certainly we work. Most of you still work. I worked for many years. Still work. Tammy still works me pretty hard now. But within that, we are to be a servant and to have an influence wherever we are. He said, I came to be a ransom. The song we sang last week, Jesus Messiah. It says, the ransom from heaven. How many of you know what a ransom is? A ransom is something that you pay to get something back that you love dearly. There was a movie one time, Ransom. Anybody ever see that movie, Ransom? You get your loved ones, gets kidnapped, and they call you and they say, give us a million dollars, we'll give you your loved one back. Jesus said, I was a ransom for many. Debated sometimes, some might say, who was was that ransom to? Was that ransom to Satan? Since Satan was the one who had man bound, was that ransom to him? Absolutely not. We know that Satan had to go to God to get permission to test Job. That ransom was to God himself. The word that the scripture uses often is the word propitiation. We've sinned. We've broken God's law. There has to be a payment for it. So that God can get back what it is that he loves. Jesus himself, the son of God himself, come. He took the payment. He took the penalty. He paid the ransom so that we can be restored back to God. The ransom for many. Now this one for sure you will not see on any Christmas card that goes out. In Matthew 10, 34 through 36, Jesus said this to his disciples. Do not think that I come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now I'll stop right there because some of you may think, what? I thought it was peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It is peace on earth, goodwill towards men in a general sense. Brother David dealt, dealt with that so well at communion this Friday night. God did come to bring peace. But within that peace, there's going to be division and there's going to be conflict. He said, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. In that same scripture, he had said, listen, you can't come to me unless you hate your mother, your father, your son, your daughter. Lord, what are you saying? Are you, are you saying that we just have to rip our families apart? Are we supposed to all hate each other? What are you saying? First of all, the sword was figurative. What the Lord was saying is he has to be number one in our lives. And we're starting to see in our culture, church, and you may, some of you may have experienced that when you take a stand for God and his word, particularly for his word, this battle is, not, is, over, is over his word. It's always been over his word. What did, what did, how did Satan deceive Eve? He said, did God really say? He attacked God and his word. And he's doing the same thing today. He's coming after his word. And when you take a stand on issues, sexuality, abortion, particularly the hot button issues, you're going to see division in families. I don't like that. And let me, let me, let me challenge you on something with this. Don't you be the one that goes out there and drives the division. 
But you take your stand, and if there's times that your friends and family get angry with you, won't come around with you, because you have said you've taken a stand, maybe you've had the type of relationship you've spoken with them about things that are going on in their life. They didn't like it. They don't want anything else to do with it, you anymore. Take your stand and say, my home is always open to you. I love you. But I'm going to take my stand. And we're seeing it today. I, uh, my dad's side of the family always has a big big family reunion and his his uh, cousin is named Ray Smith and Ray's a pastor he pastors a little church out off uh, Mineral Springs Road and uh, you know one thing my my dad's generation is very concerned about is losing the family you know they seem to think and, and, and maybe so that the younger generations are not as concerned about getting the families together like his generation was and so every year they rent a big, couldn't do it this year because of COVID, but they, they rent a big shelter and all the cousins and the uncles and all, everybody comes in that can come. It's a pretty large crowd. But one thing Ray always wants to do is he asks dad or someone or myself just to have a short word to say to the family. Because Ray and my father and me, the, the biggest concern we have of our families is, have you come, do you know Christ? Have you put your trust in him? Because I don't want to go to a family member's and find out one of them's been killed or something's happened and know that they've not heard the gospel. And church, many of our extended family, they don't attend church. That's why it's so important for you today, ever than ever before, to be a preacher. Because there's, in, the, in the cultures now, there's so many that are not in church. But, but Ray asked me, he said, Larry, will you say something? I said, yes. And what had come to my heart was the scripture that says God has placed eternity in every person's heart. And I believe that. I believe every person alive at some point asked, is this it? What happens after this? And even in Romans 2, it says that God has revealed himself to everyone in Romans 1. Everyone. So I just challenged him. I said, God has placed eternity in your heart. And if you've ever asked that question, God, what's after this? The answer is, what's after this is eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. And I went, but there was one person, and I kind of made contact with him because they gathered around. And as I talked about that, I just got the sense that he didn't like it and he didn't want to hear it. But that's okay. That might be the very one that the Holy Spirit chooses to prick his heart, and he may be the one who comes to the Lord. But I could tell he just didn't, I think he just didn't want to hear it. Why, why we got to do this before we eat? Can't we just eat? And so. It's going to drive wedges in families, friends, and co-workers. And that's unfortunate, but we see that Jesus spoke to that. John 10 and 10. Jesus said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Christ came to give us abundant life. And unfortunately, I'm afraid that so many times when that scripture is read, where our minds go in our American culture is that we hear that word abundant and we immediately think, oh, good, abundance, money, nice cars, all these things. Good, good, give me that, give me that, give me that. That's not what the Lord was referring to. We watched a video here recently about, and, and, and some of you heard of the prosperity gospel that seems to be prevalent in some circles where it's a name it we call name it claim it blab it grab it whatever there's always been excesses church that's why it's important to know the truth of God's word 
So I think there's extremes on both sides, though. I'll caution you. Is the prosperity gospel gospel? No, but neither is the poverty gospel. And I think there's a lot of people today, they ain't got two plug nickels to rub together, but Lord, I, but Brother Larry, I got Jesus. I ain't got two plug nickels. But if you dig on down into their lives a little bit, you'll find out that they really hadn't managed their, been a good steward of what God's given them. And they equate this somehow of being poor, and, and none of us are poor in America, quite frankly, but being down financially with some higher level of spirituality, that's simply not true. No more than, than being blessed financially as some higher level of spiritual mentality. That stuff has nothing to do with the true gospel of the Lord. And as I prepare for this, I want to say something particularly to the younger people who might be getting started in life. Maybe you're in college, maybe you're just getting started out in your career. I will tell you this. If you will take this Bible right here in this particular culture that we live in now and the economic system of which we function under now, which I, we all have some concerns about our economic future with the debt and some of these things, but I'm not here to get into all that. But if you'll take the scriptures and you'll apply it to your life as it relates to work ethic, as it relates to being a good steward and managing debt in your life, and giving, the high, high probability that you will be financially secure in this culture we're in now. That doesn't mean you're going to be rich, however one describes rich. It just means that God's principles, everything we need for life and godliness is in his book. And I would encourage you to dig in in that area as you start your life. Talk to someone who's done it well. There's a lot of people who've done it well. I know some people who are very financially secure. They did not make a lot of money. And they're into their 50s, early 60s. They're debt-free. They live very well. And when you dig down and they're humble enough to tell you about it, you'll find out they've given a lot of their money away to the kingdom of God. And that is completely contrary to what the world says. Get as much as you can get now. You deserve it. You earn it. Go get it. If you've got to get a credit card, run it sky high, go do it. Take God's word and apply it to your life. I want to give you an example of an abundant life that I think Jesus was talking about. Tammy has a, had an aunt. Her name was Ann Holt. And Ann had two sons by her first husband. And one of them she hardly ever saw. She really knew, didn't even know where he was most of the time. And the other one had a drinking problem, got into an altercation, got a shotgun, killed a man, was in prison. And then Ann married a, another man years ago, and I've always only known Jimmy. That was her second husband. And they had a son named Brian. And Brian was a good kid. He, good in school, active in his church. He was just a good boy. Well, at that time in the early 90s, the kids liked to go over and cruise. You know how kids like to cruise? But at least they did back then. Tammy used to cruise well in the village. And so, uh, and so Brian, at that time, a lot of the kids used to go and cruise behind the McDonald's in Hillsboro. There was a parking lot back there. And Brian was back there like kids do, and he's hanging out with some friends, and he's cruising. Well, some guys out of Durham came looking for trouble. And they stood in front of Brian's car, and as some words was exchanged, not uncommon, and they walked up, and Brian was in a little Fiero, a little small sitting car. And they walked up, and one took a gun out and put it down there and shot Brian and killed him. And as, as long as I knew Ann, she had health issues. And you're probably saying, Larry, 
please, when we get into the abundant life part, when we get into the where everything turned around and she had a big house and her kids came back, and when, when's that coming? I'm going to tell you when it came. A couple years ago, hospice, Ann was at hospice and she was home. And I went to visit with her. Tammy wasn't with me and I can't remember why, but I sat in Ann's living room and we talked. And Ann said, you know, Larry, she said, well, I've had some challenges in life. She said, brother, I've had a good life. And she said, but you know, I'm ready to see the Lord. I'm ready to see you. I know I'm ready to go. I've accepted Him as my Savior. I'm ready to see Him. And the peace of God that rested in that living room was as abundant life as you will ever get. That's what Jesus came offering. Because it don't matter how nice a car you have, how many vacations you home, all that stuff. Praise God for that if you have it. But I'm going to tell you, when hospice is there, none of that's going to matter. And Jesus himself said, people pierce themselves with many sorrows chasing wealth. There's nothing wrong, but don't let, it, don't let it become your worship. Don't let it become the center part of your life. I'll never forget who gave it to you. That, my friends, is an abundant life. Finally, the one scripture that did not come from the Lord come out of 1 John 3 and 8. <clears throat> The Apostle John wrote this, he said, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil. That takes us all the way back to the very beginning, to the Garden of Eden. When death entered the world, sickness entered the world, strife entered the world, wars entered the world, everything that you can think of, Enter the world. But in Revelation 1.18, when John the Revelator saw the risen Lord dressed in glorious white with a golden sash, with eyes as fire, and he fell at his feet, and Jesus said this to John, he said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of Hades and death. My friends, that is what Christ came to do. And whether it's sickness, whether it's sin, no matter what it is, He has overcome that for you. He has overcome that for you. The literal translation of Hades is the unseen realm. I have the keys to the unseen realm. There is so much going on that we don't get to see with our natural eye, that we see what, that are going on that we, in, the, in the spiritual, in the heavenlies, and Jesus Himself has the keys to those things. And he's a gracious God, and he has destroyed the works of the devil. I'm going to ask Brother Matt and the team if they'll, they'll come forward. I want to go back to the beginning of this and say we serve a seeking God. And his agent on the earth today is the Holy Spirit. He moves around. You know, Jesus said this. He said, I don't see the, you can't see the effects of the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see its effects. I like to sit on the porch sometime and listen to the wind chimes ding. I can't see the wind, but I can hear the wind chime ding. And the Holy Spirit of heaven is still moving about the earth. He's moving about the earth, still seeking people who will come to him.
And this morning, if you're sitting here and you know that some things aren't right, you felt that prick in your heart, the Bible says when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. We've got four chairs here. You know, we had stopped our altar for a while, and then we had a discussion in the office and said, how can we still minister and feel like we're doing it safely? Church, this is important. Praying over the needs are important. God's still saving. God's still healing. God's still delivering. And he can do that right there in your seat. He doesn't do it like I hoped he would do it, like I'd like to see him do it. But I know what James said. James said, is any sick among you, let them call on the elders of the church and anoint their head with oil. And so if you're here this morning, there's something in your life that you're dealing with, something you're struggling with. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and as I look around this auditorium, I look at people who I think know the Lord. But maybe there's something in this season you say, brother, I just want a couple people to come. I want them to pray for me. I've got something in my life. It's just, and everyone us do at certain times. Nobody's got it all together. I don't. And that's what the church is for. And so as they sing, I ask Brother Matt to sing the song Offering again. I bring an offering of worship to my king. No one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. And there's one thing I want him to know is that I honor him and I worship him. You know, I've tried to reconcile in my own life. God's been good to me as, it, as it would, people would look at me financially and other things. God's been good to me. He's kept me healthy. And where I've, where I've landed on that church is I say, God, thank you for these things you give me and I can enjoy them and I can bless people with them from time to time. But God, may it always be that my worship is for you and you alone. Not my financial situation, not my health, not my family. My worship What flows out of the soul of Larry is to worship you. And so this morning as we sing that song, if you've got a need, you have somebody you would like for us to come and pray with you, the way we're doing that is you please bring your mask, have a seat. They'll come up behind you with a mask and pray with you. And so they're going to sing a little bit. Will you stand and let's worship a little bit. If you have a need, come down and we'll, we'll, we'll pray with you.